0: Well, we're continuing in the diocesan year of the Bible Lent course, and it's not immediately obvious why today we are to consider the role of the prophets, uh, that we are looking at the story of the Good Shepherd. Now, Alec Mathieu, the Bible scholar who wrote um, a number of uh, books about the Old Testament, including The Lion Roar, uh once said he couldn't understand these editions of the New Testament, which give you just the New Testament with the Psalms at the end. Uh, Because, he said, it's like giving somebody a sword with no handle, but with a little chunk of the middle of the handle stuck onto the tip. We need to understand the Old Testament law and the writings and the prophets because Jesus understood his own New Testament mission in terms of what the Old Testament taught and set out. And we won't fully appreciate what Jesus was doing unless we understand his own mindset, shaped by the scriptures that he had. And we won't understand what's happening or being taught in the New Testament unless we look at each incident or story, first in its immediate context, and then in the light of the Bible as a whole. Now, we all know the story of the Good Shepherd, don't we? It's a nice, comforting image, it goes with gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and those nice drawings, paintings by Margaret Tarrant and things like that, doesn't it? Well, no, actually, I thought I knew the story of the Good Shepherd until I had to prepare it in the context of the diocesan um, uh, year of prayer for the Bible and the fact that we were meant to be looking at the prophets. Because if we actually look at the context, and rather than just taking the parable of the Good Shepherd as a standalone story, we have a look to see why does Jesus tell this story at this point, we get rather a different perspective. Actually, it turns out to be rather a challenging and uncomfortable message, at least for some people, certainly for the Pharisees who are listening. In the previous chapter, chapter 9 of John, Jesus has been healing the man born blind... And the upshot of that has been that the man born blind, no longer blind, gets thrown out of the synagogue as a result. And it ends with that man saying, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus' comment is, for judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind." And that causes the frightfully religious and holy Pharisees to ask, chapter 9, verse 40, whether he's saying that they are blind as well. And Jesus replies, well, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But because you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And it's from that that he goes straight on at once to talk about false shepherds. By what authority have these Pharisees expelled the man that Jesus has healed? How does it come about, John 9 verse 22, that already the Jews have decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue? And if the people of God can be seen as a flock of precious sheep, who are these so-called authorities claiming to rule over them? If a purported leader hasn't come in by the right way, says Jesus, well then he is no more than a thief and a robber. He's a rustler. And the Pharisees say, you what? What what are you saying? They did not understand what he was telling them, verse 6. So Jesus explains that he himself is the right way. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. And then he tries a different analogy with them. And he uses terminology which they, as experts on the scriptures, are more likely to recognize straight from the Old Testament the concept of the good shepherd. It starts with Moses. When Moses realised that he was going to die before the children of Israel had crossed over into the promised land, he prayed and asked God to set a man over the congregation, Numbers 25, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And God's immediate response is to tell him to appoint Yeshua, Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus' own. That's how Jesus' name would have been pronounced in Israel, Yeshua, meaning Saviour. And then, who was the greatest king over the people of God? David, the shepherd boy. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, 2 Samuel 5, and said, We are your own flesh and blood. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall become their ruler. And then, of course, David wrote psalms about the shepherd king, the shepherd lord. And then the prophets continue the theme of the one whom God would send, who, Isaiah 40 verse 11, would feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jeremiah saw himself as a shepherd appointed by God to bring the people the word of the Lord. But most of all, these Pharisees, who are feeling pretty much on the back foot and wondering what Jesus is up to now, will have in mind the passage in Ezekiel 34. If you want to look at it in your Bibles, I think it's page 865, Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Son of man. That's quite telling, isn't it, son of man? Who is the son of man? Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. You eat the fat, clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you don't feed the flock. The weak you haven't strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So Jesus is really laying it on the line for the Jewish authorities. Verse 9, Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hands. Now, if the Pharisees didn't like Jesus before, they're hardly going to be endeared to him after this, are they? No wonder that, before the end of chapter 10 of John, verse 31, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But the Ezekiel prophecy goes much further still. Listen to this, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them. Verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture. They shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. Well, this is straight out of Psalm 23, isn't it? And Jesus is saying, it's all about me. It it is I. I. Later in John 10, he announces, verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So it's hardly surprising that when the Jews pick up stones to stone him, chapter 10, verse 33, you, it's because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Well, yes. That's exactly what's going on. When he says, I am the good shepherd, this is a claim to divinity. But there's even more yet in the way Jesus uses the words written by the prophets. Because at verse 15 of chapter 10, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And there he's thinking of the passage in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's the verse that Jesus quotes immediately before his arrest on the Mount of Olives. That's why he goes on in verse 17 of chapter 10 of John to say, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And when Jesus says this, at these words, the Jews were again divided. Verse 20, many of them said he's demon possessed, raving mad. Why listen to him? They cannot cope with God's own truth. And their problem is, as Jesus diagnosed at Matthew 22, verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures, Or the power of God. Either they don't know them at all. Or if they do they have failed to understand them. Otherwise they would have recognized Jesus as their Messiah. Now these were the people who had been prepared for generations, for centuries. To recognize God when he came, when he manifested himself. Jesus is looking at their own scriptures, their own Old Testament. And saying this is all pointing to me. This is all fulfilled in me. And in place of the bad shepherds The people who've got it wrong The people who are coming in the wrong way I'm the good shepherd It all comes to me How privileged we are You and I That by his spirit Jesus has opened our eyes To understand spiritual truth And what is the good pasture That our good shepherd feeds us on The word of God You've got it on your tables This is how we grow and become strong as Christians. This is what we need in our pastors, men and women, who will teach us the Word of God. We need the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And from God's words, our souls and our intellects receive our understanding and our doctrine, just as Jesus himself interpreted his role in the light of the Old Testament writings. And from the Holy Spirit... We receive in our souls and our intuition those promptings and nudges that help us to live out that Bible truth in Christian love. Truth and love, those are the two great perfect attributes of God. No human being except Jesus has ever lived the two truth and love out together in perfect harmony and balance. Because we will, all of us, tend to veer to one side or the other, depending on our temperaments. You will either be wonderfully clear and strong in giving people the truth, whether they like it or not, and the most loving thing I can do for you is hit you over the head repeatedly with the Bible, but rather less good at the tender, gentle love and affirmation, or we'll be so jolly nice and affirming that we never challenge people with the uncomfortable truths of God's claim on their lives. And we, each of us, need to work on the areas which come less naturally to us. But our good shepherd goes before us into every situation in our lives. The times when we are feeling most vulnerable, the times when we are feeling most strong. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He's calling you. And the question is, in all the hubbub and turmoil of life... Do you know his voice? Well, the Bible will help you to recognize it in every circumstance. When I was a new convert, I met Devina. She'd been a Christian all her life. And it used to drive me mad that whenever we were trying to make up our minds about something or other, she would um, just. She knew the Lord so well that she would get. I'd have to wrap a wet towel around my head and spend hours and hours and hours in the scriptures and then decide she was right in the first place, which was. Because she knew her Lord. I'd only been a Christian six weeks when we first met. The Bible helps you get somebody, Wesley I think said he had bibline blood. That he was so steeped in the scriptures that that's how he recognised the way the Lord's mind works. The promptings of the Lord's heart. So the Bible will help you to recognise what's going on when the world, the flesh and the devil try as they surely will with their siren voices to lure you away in a different direction where they want to be able to gobble you up will you follow Jesus wherever he leads you will you come in and go out and find pasture through Jesus he has come that you may have life and have it to the full he has laid down his life for you so as to give you eternal life And you shall never perish. No one can snatch you out of his hand. I tell you the truth. Amen.